so little matzo doughboy. So bad. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> no, the, the picture of the new cookies was hilarious. Oh. Can, There's so many people. Oh, I would have Can there be a uh, wafer, a communion wafer version right. of the Pillsbury Doughboy? <laughs> hmm. I'm sitting here like, oh, would that be a good idea? Okay. Hey, everybody. Uh, Shalom. Welcome to Solidarity House. Auntie Fa is here. Mara is back. Sup? How's it going? Uh, I'm Matt. Uh, we've been talking about science fiction uh, this morning, and we got some things to say. We do. We have a lot of things to say. <laughs> so you have you have a uh, like a top five, or what do you have? So kind of what I, I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know, top five formats are easy, but like, what would my top five sci-fi things? that are somewhat that are somewhat recent what are those and number three will blow your mind number three will definitely whatever, blow your whatever mind. whatever it is <laughs> whatever it is well um and i was I, I tried to keep it to movies but then i was sitting there like no there's one thing that's extremely bad that we need to discuss because it's extremely bad is it dune <laughs> no no it's not dune it's not dune but uh, it is it is it is something else <laughs> So I've got like a couple of series um, okay. and stuff like that. So yeah, that's, my brain's just going all over the place. Well, how do we want to do this? I just want to start off by saying that I liked Dune and Baby Soft Desert Jesus Timothy Chalamet <laughs> can knock <laughs> <laughs> my hat around anytime he wants, okay? Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So Okay, that's... I, I, <laughs> That is uh, a, a illustrious beginning. I think that's a this. wonderfully illustrious beginning because yeah. uh, when I when I came up with my silly little list, uh, Dune ended up in the number five spot. Okay. Um, and I'm not so I'm not a uh, unfortunately I am not a Dune head, um, and there's a lot of reasons why that is. Um, most of which having to do with just accidents, and I forgot to read it a lot. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but. Um, but uh, my my nesting partner very much is, and he was absolutely ecstatic to see this movie. And he he has seen he has seen the the sci-fi series. He's seen all the older movies. He's read the books several times, and a, a couple of the following books, which are not as good. But you know that's that. And he came away from it with a shockingly positive with a shockingly positive outlook, and. Um, me, as a person who hasn't read the book a bunch of times, I enjoyed it as a I enjoyed it as a movie. But you know, of course, there are there are details that I was like, I should have read the book for this. Um, but I I felt fairly positively about it. Also, now, granted, I don't have the the storied history with it that you do. Um, and I'm I just super... that I just that I had <laughs> seen the original. Just that, that, I mean, that you feel I, strongly. I have a strong opinion, but the, I mean the, the not the the first iteration, the David Lynch, the David Lynch uh, version. version, which didn't do well. Uh, and I don't know that if it, I don't know if people have have reconsidered it or if it's gotten some rehabilitation or anything. But um, uh, but I don't remember. I don't particularly recall enjoying that any more than I enjoyed uh, the new one. Uh, I just 
you thought it was interesting that um, Kyle McLaughlin was sort of at the height of his career when he made that, when he starred in that. It didn't look uh, like he was 15. Well, he's kind of a problem. He still looks (laughs) like he's 15. Uh, But but then in Sting, that was Sting's acting debut, at least in a a major release. And, uh, (laughs) and, you know, I mean, it would have been more apropos to call him Stink. So A burn. (laughs) Anyway, continue, please. Yeah. Um, But I digress. So, and the reason that I feel like I came away with a bit of a positive a positive sight on on Dune as a movie is because Dune is not a thing that really should be done as a movie. It's there's just so much there's so much commentary and there's so much history and there's so much other stuff that goes with it that it's one of those things that's kind of even hard to make a series about. Um so as a film, just as a film, I thought Denny V did a pretty decent job. Um that being said, there's a lot of there are a lot of conversations around social issues, particularly re- related to extractive colonization and things like that. That of course it's there. There are a lot of conversations happening about that right now, um, and I think that they're very interesting because Frank Herbert, you know, a white dude, <laughs> mm-hmm. he he came at Dune with a a mindset that was kind of rare. For, for white dudes at the time, and that was what what does extractive resource colonialism mean? How is it going to affect everything? And what conversations can we have about this? And for someone in his positionality, he did a really good job of weaving together, weaving together a bunch of narratives to create a bigger picture of, you know, how harmful the spice trade can be, for example. Um, that mm-hmm. being said, it's really hard to do that in a film. Yeah. Um, but it ha- it got a lot of people who hadn't read the book before or hadn't considered the issues talking about it anyway. True. Right. And maybe they'll read the book now and get deeper into that conversation with themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, not a not a week goes by that I haven't got a Dune reference that appears to me either in conversation. And I'm, I'm not talking about the movie, mm-hmm. which, by the way, I really enjoyed. Yeah, and I was just glad to see more there was a, a lot more. Yeah. Lot more representation in this movie because, like, the original movie, like, if you live on a desert planet, you're not pasty white, okay? You would be, you'd look like Klinger, okay, from MASH, or you know, you you would have a complexion other than pasty white. And they, like, hello, they actually got the right, you know, uh, they they did it right this time as far as that's concerned. So, I I was glad to see a step away from the uh, Caucasian centric filmmaking idea that all of the actors and everybody the only good actors are white actors you know and that's no longer the case and that's true and that's a good point so frank herbert was a royalist basically though Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and so one of the things that that i would draw attention to is the same sort of attention of the metaphysics of an orson scott card or other types of sci-fi fantasy writers who whose the savior is always a sort of royalty, you know, like a prince or something. It's blood. Blood is what matters. Bloodline is what matters in terms of the savior or who comes to, to the rescue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was an interesting, the, the way that it per- perpetuates that, even though it critiques, you know, all of these other things or kind of serves as a metaphor for the, 
the oppression of extractive industry and, and stuff. Uh, but I mean, there, it's not that's not unique to like as I said, you know. I mean, all of these guys, you know, were like a, the, a prince who is the actual accurate restored bloodline of some sort of thing is mm-hmm. is our is ultimately our savior. The people are not our savior mm-hmm. uh, so much as this birthright person is our savior, which is mm-hmm. let's we've seen honest, that. weird it's weird it is well it, it kind of also brings to my mind the uh the book of mosiah from the book of mormon mm-hmm. where he says that the best form of government would be a righteous king yeah yeah the uh, righteous king for would sure. be the best form of government but unfortunately sure. humans are fallible and that's not what we get but that's like the savior jesus is the son of god literally it's his but yeah, you know, and it's yeah. That, and so and there's so, there's a lot of Jesus. That. I mean, the Quislox yeah. Hatterack was sure. the Messiah, and uh, you know, and the Bene Gesserit had been spending like ten thousand years genetically keeping their lines in track to try to bring about the birth of the Quislox Hatterack, and uh, that you know, to the point where they could determine whether or not they were going to birth a female or a male child, uh, gendered, and then you have the Talaxu, which. Never, it is dangerous to underestimate the stupidity of the Talaxu and their cloning and all the shit that they would do. It was just like not smart. I mean, you know, and we had the poor Duncan just getting rebuilt and rebuilt and recloned and recloned constantly throughout all six books. And you're not really a Dune fan if you haven't read all six books at least twice. Gatekeeping. <laughs> yeah, I see. You, if you think it was hard in the first book or two, try slogging through the last three. It gets a little bit weirder. You're definitely not the first person I've heard say that. <laughs> hey, so. I read all the Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars stories. Oh, then there's like five thousand of them. So, right. I uh, so I thought that this Dune was well made, mm-hmm. technically. Uh, marvelous, uh, really, really well made. Um, I thought it was a glum slog through the doldrums of sci-fi world making. Most of the time, the actors looked miserable. Yeah, you're not. Wrong. When they're supposed to be happy, even or amused, it looks like they're acting. When it looks like they're miserable, they look very authentic. Also, <laughs> the strong boy dude savior coming of age energy that this movie had, but filtered through a vibe that felt almost Calvinist to me. To be oh, honest, oh no, and, you're not wrong. And I think that the kind of world building that works with series novels is also, as you said, really tough to transpose onto a two or three hour movie. Uh, Lots of dialogue has to double as exposition and explanation of the world. And so it's like, you know, so you have this dialogue at the beginning that's just is neither real nor surreal. It's just this sort of, uh, you know, oh, I see that you've come from that one place that is this and this and this and I see that you have this weapon that I will briefly recount the history of even though there's no context for me to do so in this scene and things like that so the dialogue doubles as exposition I felt like I'm learning a constant barrage of new words in the first third of the film geography and history etc I felt like I needed to take notes Um, and so uh, you know that but you know I get that you know, this is a little bit of... I'm, I'm hard to please about some of these things. So, hey, you know, that's um, cool. I mean, I'm wondering here if we're going to have that conversation. Why aren't we bitching about the difficulty of the Lord of the Rings series and The Hobbit? 
pick me. Okay, you know. Uh, <laughs> Harold Bloom, who did, has did a not... a job. But... Harold Bloom, who, you know, did not end up as illustriously as he lived uh, and ended up being kind of a fucker. Uh, but he did say something uh, about uh, comparing uh, the Lord of the Rings to the prose of the Book of Mormon. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I thought that that was apropos. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think is it, but it's the same. I think it raises a lot of these same things. It's also kind of royalist, and you know, although it sort of elevates the common, you know, being as it's like well. Proto Morrissey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Proto Morrissey. I wish I could take full. The Lord of the one. Sweaters. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I called I called the Tim Burton version of Alice in Wonderland the Lord of the Teacups. Because it was like, what the fuck happened to Alice in Wonderland, Tim Burton? Now it's like this this epic sci-fi movie? What the fuck, man? Anyway, I'm done. Yay. For now. Yeah, well, that's enough for Dune. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's enough we, for we Dune. We could literally go on for six birth, books worth of shit. So yes. Fair enough. not. Mm. Yeah. I want to talk about one of my favorite series that I've been re-watching. Yes, and that Okay, should we do this and then go back to your list? Oh, you, oh, we still have more lists. That's well, right. I mean, I mean, sure, but, you know. Either, y'all give, us, you know give us your top. Oh yeah! Well, why don't you go time. ahead and finish the list, and we'll okay. be a little more judicious with yeah, our, our time. time. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No worries. Okay. Yeah. So my number four is uh, is one that I is is a very recent one that I saw, and I had to include it on the list because it's awful, and that is the Stand twenty twenty. Um, <laughs> so the Stand twenty twenty. So Stephen King's The Stand was made into a miniseries, a 10-episode miniseries. Antifa just mimed uh, <laughs> shooting himself in the mouth. Yes, yes, <laughs> and you will continue to want to do that, but refrain from shooting yourself until the end. Uh, no. <laughs> but, or at all. So, so we ended up watching this in in quarantine okay we were in seattle at the time and uh we quarantine just wasn't bad enough because yeah and so we had to make it worse and that's pretty much what happened here so we were we were staying on the living room floor of a couple of our really close friends and we eventually just turned into a quarantine bubble and just watched tv every monday one of the series that one of my friends desperately wanted to watch because he's a huge stephen king fan was the stand and i was like God damn it. Sorry. Somebody had to commit fraud from Lexington, South Carolina. (sighs) Ah, yes, wonderful. (laughs) But, so, my friend really wanted to watch The Stand 2020. Huge Stephen King fan, and so we're like, okay, cool, we give it a shot. This is going to be heavy. (laughs) Because, again, quarantine's not bad enough. Let's go ahead and live through another scenario like that. And we started, so we started watching it, and... It was a really great looking series and they set the scene they, they set the scene very well and it was very clear that they were fairly true to the material. Therein lies the problem also. Um, there was something very off about the way that people interacted in that world just by the first episode. And it just kind of it kind of made me hurt a little bit. And I was sitting here like, why is this why is this making me so tense? What is wrong with this? And then it hit me. And that's this is our parents' humor. 
this is our parents' way, things that they taught us about why the world is cruel. They were doing those things to each other, and so they taught us that that was just the way things were. The way people talk to each other in this series is absolutely awful. There is misogyny dripping from every single word said by almost every single man in the series, and it's not because they the character hates women, except, you know, in the case of that writer guy who, oh my god, um, he's a whole nother, he's a whole nother rant there, but not because they particularly hated women or anything, but just because that's the way the world was, and that was just normal. And so sitting through that for 10 episodes, like the pandemic plot line at a certain point just didn't even register with me anymore because I was so busy watching just how these people would insult each other when they were trying to say something nice or just treat each other like sex objects. Doesn't matter what their gender was at a certain point. It was, it is one of those things I feel like you need to experience at least once, but you're gonna have to hate watch it. <laughs> Because it's incredibly hard to see. Oh, that's hard, but, you know, sometimes you what, take what one about, for the What team. about Mad Men, then? What do you come down on that? Because that was just misogyny late. Oh, yeah. I mean, that oh, was of course it was. Gravy with more misogyny on top. It was... But in that... <laughs> it, but in that one, I feel like it graded on me less because it was, it was very obviously, like, situated as... A, commenting on these are how these people talk and these are how these characters respond to it. The stand, none of that self-awareness at all. Right. At all. Okay. At all. <laughs> See, I, li- I actually liked the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a kid when it came out um, and uh, I read the book and, and Stephen King is a creepy dude. I mean, let's just keep it there. And, you know, but he does, like, something good and bad. Like, the original It, oh, my God, I didn't sleep for a week. It was <laughs> so fucking scary. I saw five minutes of it, and I didn't yeah, sleep Yeah, no, week. I mean, it's clowns, but, you know. But anyway. Anyway, anyway. stance was great. So, anyway, your next topic. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. So... So my my number three is another is another Denny V masterpiece, and this is a and this is a good one, and that is Arrival. Oh yeah, I've never seen that. Arrival is is really it's a very unique. It's based on a book, first of all, um, but it's a very unique sci-fi thing, uh, particularly when you're talking about like alien invasions, because it doesn't hold to so. So a summary, I should probably like actually give a summary of the plot because there's probably a lot of people who don't know that. So okay. give me just a second. Yes. <laughs> so Arrival, a lot of its plot doesn't center around combat or anything like that. It centers around linguistics. Um, the main mm-hmm. character, Amy Adams' character, um, suffers, suffers a loss very early on. Um, her daughter died at the age of 12, from something that she couldn't figure out how to cure. And uh, so she's in a, so she's in a real funk and there are, and there come along about 12 spacecraft. Nobody recognizes them. And they, they get stuck over various locations on the planet and they can't really, and they can't really go anywhere. Um, This is not, which is a plot point that's not revealed until later because they have to work up to translating their language to understanding what they're saying. Um, there are a lot of points in the world that are monitoring the activity of these these spaceships, and they notice, well, they're not trying to attack. 
or anything like that. And so they essentially bring her in to try and translate their language, which has like a visual component and like an aural component. It's not like an alphabet based thing. And the fact that they managed to execute something like that in a film and in a day and age where we're having lots of conversations about how to talk to one another and how to translate one another's languages, as it were, um, when you're talking about where where people come from in life, it's it feels like a very significant movie that that I think that I would I would recommend everybody watch at least once, if not read the book. So that's what I have to say about that. <laughs> awesome. I haven't seen it. Um, I will. I it's I when once I knew that the that the main conflict or the main sort of uh, exigency was linguistic, I thought. This is going to be a different kind of movie for sure, mm-hmm. uh, and I just haven't had gotten a chance to see yeah. it. Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra. <laughs> it's a Star Trek Next Generation episode from season three, but the whole point is trying to figure out the, the language of the species, and mm, that's a good they connection. speak in archetypal metaphor. They don't. They don't. They, they, you know, they, their vocabulary is an entire. It's like their, their spoken vocabulary is like hieroglyphics. It means this whole thing, like you know, Darmok and Jalada Tanagra was basically Gilgamesh and Beowulf, and you know, and, and that whole. But mm-hmm. anyway, but it was linguistic, and I, I I highly recommend you check out season three Darmok. Yeah, that's a Star good, Trek: The Next Generation. That's oh, yeah, a good recommendation. A, it's and, a classic for sure. Yeah, and if you want to dip your toes into weird linguistic sci-fi, yeah, that's a great starting point. It's a fantastic yeah. starting point. Easy, easy to dip in. So number two, number two is a series. Number and uh, I don't know how often y'all get on Netflix or anything, but the series that I'm recommending is a Netflix series, and it is called Three Percent. A what? It's called Three Percent. Yeah, I know. I see. I see the look on your face. Don't worry. So it's uh, so it is a. It's not the Threepers. No, <laughs> just like, that's wow. why I was like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was when I was. That's why I asked. Like, what? Well, when I was googling it, I was like, oh, three percent. Wait, let's put another term in there. Okay, there we go. We've got it. <laughs> but so this series is a Brazilian series, and it's um, it's done in Brazilian Portuguese. So you can either you can either dub it, which honestly I would recommend just watching it in the original language. It's there's something about the sound that that makes the world come to life, at least for me. But so this series it's set in, in somewhere in a f- distant but kind of unspecified future, in uh, in which there are there are a certain amount of people who can be guaranteed a good life because overpopulation is such a problem uh resource extractive resource colonialism on the mainland in um is just going crazy and people live in slums like just about everybody lives in slums unless you meet a certain kind of set of qualifications to and if you do you can essentially take a test. And if you pass the test, you get to go live on the island with a lot of other like genetically or intellectually like somehow superior people. Um, and so the series centers around uh, around six people who go into the test, um, only two of whom end up getting through in the end. Um, and the others kind of end up stuck on the mainland and having to do their own little revolution thing there. Um, but it's a great, it's, it, it's kind of got elements of biopunk. It's kind of got elements of, um, 
Ray Bradbury social commentary vibes. Um, it is, it's a fantastic series. And I think that a lot more of us need to watch fewer American, American sci-fi series because there's so many there's so many other interesting angles to look at these these things from i too have been watching a number of foreign uh and a couple in brazilian portuguese mm-hmm. uh on netflix Ooh. Uh, uh, yeah so, please continue with yes. your list i don't want to get into that wrong, so. <laughs> but of course so that's my number two and my number one which is another thing you can find on netflix it's a korean movie called space sweepers Ooh. That has come across my screen so many times that I've ignored it. So tell it me why I should watch this. Absolutely delightful. Um, so first of all, it's got a very uh, it's got a very strong trans through line, which that is very that's very very brave for uh, Korean filmmakers to have pulled that off with a lot of the censorship that they sometimes get subjected to in the industry. But the movie is essentially about um, this group of mercenaries um, who. Rides around, with, you know, flies around in their little firefly-like spaceship situation doing jobs. The Earth is basically uninhabitable, and people have to go gather resources for stuff. Um, and one of the jobs they get called to uh, is to retrieve a particular, a very special resource that they thought was an android that was made of nanobots. But it turns out, no, that this, this, uh, this person is actually a human. Um, and what happened was their scientist's father, to cure a, to cure a disease that, they, that their daughter was going to die from, developed nanobot technology, which keeps her alive. And it also kind of gave her the power to talk to other nanobots and to heal things around. Oh, wow. So she's essentially like the key to making the Earth livable again. And it's a visually beautiful movie because they do a lot of, uh, they do a lot of modeling, which you don't see that in a lot of movies. And it's got a really sweet trans storyline with a robot, and it's very, it's it's very very awesome. And that and Squid Game are two Korean things everybody should watch. On wow, that. Space Sweepers. Okay. Yes. I know a bunch of people <laughs> that would love that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I'm gonna stop ignoring it on my uh, Netflix. Screen it's delightful. And, and give it a look. See the the foreign films that I've watched recently on Netflix were fantasy and or science fiction. This one I just started watching is in Portuguese, uh, Brazilian Portuguese. It's called No One Is Looking, and it's about angels that are guardian angels. And, like, what happened? And, like, I don't want to break, bust a plot, but what happens when you go into God's office? Because you're not supposed to they have four rules, and that's rule number four. Don't ever go into the big guy's office. And what happens? What are you going to find in there? And one of the angels goes in there and things get crazy and you know there's a point where something gets screwed up and nobody gets a guardian angel for like half a day so like accidents just go through the roof is this part of a trend about heaven fiction like the good place with which you know which donna is, is really into i'm very into it also yeah. right yes. yeah. no, it's, I, I recommend that and it, i mean it's 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 dubbed into english and it's hilarious but i just watched one a russian film uh Ooh. Uh, major, major Grom and the Plague Doctor. Wow! Oh yeah, and it's 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 very recent. The the the, the through plot is there's this guy who's Russian uh, orphan grows up and creates a massive social media empire called mm-hmm. Together. And Major Grom is this police officer, and the Plague Doctor is the villain, and or the hero because. He's into killing rich people. 
uh, you know, because their parasites are sucking all of the uh, all of the blood out of you know the society. They're getting away with horrible crimes, you know, like killing people with their cars because they rich oligarch children. And the plague doctor is a serial killer that's taking these people out, and he's using this social networking uh, platform to live cast his murders of these people, and he can't block it because of some special whatever. I highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I just. I thought it was really good. I mean, I'm like, wow, this is coming out of Russia. Obviously, it came out before we embargoed everything from Russia. So I highly recommend that one. It's you know, it's like Batman, but or not Batman, but you know, Batman. <laughs> you know, if Batman was a bad dude, which mm. he may or may not be, we don't know. Um, well, anybody, that's a whole any billionaire who's. Uh, yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, we the, did, yeah, that's a different episode. The region for Robin is, you know, yeah. um, <laughs> Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, anyway, uh, so don't get me started. If Jeffrey uh, Epstein <laughs> had the back kid, exactly. Uh, no, uh, yeah, no, no, no. Um, but anyway, uh, so I, I really recommend that. But the, the, the series I've been watching again on Netflix that I really enjoy is Altered Carbon. And if you haven't seen that, basically somebody figures out a way to download human consciousness to what they call a stack, which is basically a big old chip. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the best part I, I was walking through is the the leader of the, the rebellion, the revolution against eternal life that these stacks enable is actually the creator of the stack technology. And she's like, I've looked into the future and I've seen this dystopian universe where people who can afford to live forever will and they will always continually control those who can't. And it was just like, oh, wow. So if you haven't watched Altered Carbon, it's a couple of years old. I highly recommend it. Sounds kind of like um, Ghost in the Shell a little it's bit. It's a which really good about. series. It's just, and it's, it's, it's well developed. There's, a, there's AI in it and there's a whole shebang. It's... It, Really does, and the the lead the lead character is not bad looking. Striker, Riker, Strike, Strike, whatever his name is. Like, <laughs> always Riker. It's always right. <laughs> that's that's like the uh, the the old Saturday Night Live sketch. Uh, Don't go running around the Rero, which was an English movie that no one could understand. Oh no! And uh, and one of the reviews was the main character. Uh, Bixby or Crispy or whatever his name was, he was pretty cool. <laughs> uh, okay, well, did you? So that was your list, and then you? Oh, yeah, I'm now sorry. You, oh, no, 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 he's starting on his list now. Okay, well, I think yeah. that was that was that's pretty much you know I guess the Brazilian <laughs> foreign movies. I, there's a lot. Yeah. Netflix yeah. dropped a serious chunk of change uh, right before the pandemic, like two billion dollars on content. Uh, we got the Chappelle's episode. Um, you know, where he goes on his turf rant and, uh, but we also got the, apparently, and there is these, some of these series were made just for Netflix and they were made in foreign countries, you know, like the, especially the, like the angel one was made. It's an original Netflix series. I also noticed another really good Portuguese one from Brazil. Um, the invisible city. Ooh. That yeah. Sounds, that sounds like that's very really much fascinating. And it's about basically, um, there are these how do you how do you kind of like similar to the fey folk and Irish folklore, mm-hmm. but it's that version in in 
Brazilian folklore, and they actually, there are some of these major characters, they actually live among us, and we don't know it, and some of them don't even themselves know that they are, mm-hmm. that these, these uh, fey folk. And it's just, I don't want to ruin the, any of it. It's, it's one season, and there's, they said they were coming out with a second season, and it's worth a watch. Um, you know, and it's, it's just different. It's not blow them up in your face. It's not cast a lot of spells, kind of, you know, you would expect for most American tastes. It's, 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 it's just much better. It's, I, you'll enjoy it. Mm. Uh, so that's, that's my recommendations. And then on Amazon, you need to watch The Expanse, and that's a whole podcast in and of itself. And yeah, and we and and we actually talk have about a, extract. We actually have an expanse and... scholar who's not with us right now, right. who's uh, who's uh, 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 you know all the way in Oakland. Um, but maybe when she comes back, we can uh, talk more about the expanse. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. that's got a lot of extractive industry critique going on in it, and really gets into the the horribleness of the uh, corporate colonizer. Um, and if you want to get a flavor for that, just watch any movie about the British Empire and the East India Trade Company, and you'll sure. you'll have the same idea of just how gross uh, the corporations are in the expa- in the expanse. So my the things I wanted to bring up uh, are a nice little uh, I think wrapping on the package, yes, and yes. a weird footnote and kind of a weird angle on this, which is somebody the other day asked me about. Uh, sci-fi on the stage as well as sci-fi musicals or musical science fiction. Oh, and I want to talk about a couple yes. of uh, a couple of and, the, and these are not new. Um, one is a 2012 movie uh, called The History of Future Folk, which is on Netflix. Um, and then the other one is an, a 19, I want to say 1988, yeah, 1988 one act by Philip Glass, by the, the, uh, oh, the musician, no way. composer Philip Glass, uh, with an aria and stuff. And it's called A Thousand Airplanes on the Roof. And I'll start by talking about that. Um, so this is stage. It's been on some, you can see some YouTube videos of parts of it, and especially the aria. Uh, the entire album is available on YouTube and probably on a lot of other uh, streaming services. But it's a, it's a melodramatic uh, one act by Philip Glass, uh, written by the 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 text was written by David David Henry Huang, and uh, it also includes projections, artistic projections by an artist called uh, Jerome Sirlin, um, and it premiered in 1988. It's a uh, it is um, a uh, has one character, so it's a one person one act, and that character who is called M, who is in different versions of the play has been played by both male and female um, uh, actors uh, and could be, I'm sure, played by any gender or no gender at all. But they recall a bunch of encounters with extraterrestrial life forms. And uh, a lot of it is this very long spoken monologue about various alien encounters that this person has had. And the monologue takes place over the music, you know, Philip Glass music. And it's a very... Uh, well, it's very ethereal and kind of airy and kind of weird, like Philip Glass. Uh, so that's the first one. Um, you know, definitely look for that ten, or not ten thousand. It's a thousand airplanes uh, on the roof. The other one is this movie, History of Future Folk, which I stumbled on last year rather serendipitously. 
uh, and was supposed to be you know trying to find a video that uh, that my teens and I could watch and uh, just stumbled on this we took a chance on it and it was just fucking delightful it was so great um, and I guess that the origin story of the the premise of the movie is this um, this folk music comedy duo from New York uh, who uh, before they became future folk uh, they were they did a lot of off-Broadway stuff uh, did a production called who is Wilford Brimley uh, like oh, a fictionalization of Wilford Brimley. <laughs> um, but anyway, then they started performing as future folk and it's, um, uh, the, the, uh, their names are general Trius, uh, who's actually Nils Dallaire. Uh, and then the mighty Kevin is the other guy. And, and that's Jay Clates does that. And, uh, and they sing, uh, folk songs about space. Um, so for example, they've got a song called space worms and it's like, well, I grew up farming space worms, you know, like, it was <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's this entire, they have this entire thing, this entire world and persona anyway. So they made a movie finally in 2012 called history of future folk has a 93% on rotten tomatoes. Ooh. It's a great movie, uh, about the general, uh, and the, uh, uh, being on earth and he's like on this mission on earth. And then this other guy, Kevin comes to, uh, is sent to kill him, uh, from the planet that they come from called Hondo because the Hondo people think that the general has defected and is a traitor. And the thing is like, these guys are just normal guys in the movie. Like they, they're wearing like costumes and stuff, but other than that, they just look like New Yorkers. They just look like people that you would just see on the street. Um, and so Kevin comes to to uh, uh, to kill uh, the general, uh, but they end up teaming up uh, and preventing an invasion from their home world, uh, Hondo. And they and it's and they've got folk songs that they sing. They perform live throughout sporadically throughout the movie. And there's love stories involved and and lots of hijinks and chase scenes and stuff. But I mean, it couldn't have been. Uh, the, the budget for the movie could not have been more than, you know, like maybe a hundred thousand dollars or something. Oh, because rock on. It was just, it's just such a low budget. Me- it's a low budget sci-fi musical and it's great. It's called History of Future Folk. Uh, watch it. Uh, you won't be sorry. And also if you are, um, you know, if you're watching it with your family, like with kids and stuff, it's wholesome and, and fun uh, to watch as well. Yeah, I actually think there are three movies I have that are sci-fi musicals that are my favorite. The rest of it isn't really necessarily a musical. Mm-hmm. It's the silent film version of Metropolis. Oh, yeah. That is yeah. Great a good one. A soundtrack to Metropolis is amazing. Oh, yes. The movie is great. Uh, my second one on that list is going to be, uh, what do you want to call it? Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Okay. Definitely a sci-fi that- musical. Definitely a sci-fi musical. Because, like, you know, and even at the end, you know, George Carlson uh, comes George back Carlin. and the, their salute is George Carlin, excuse Carlin. <laughs> the, the salute is the guitar strum and yeah. be excellent to each other and they're singing Queen throughout and all of that. So I, I, I definitely give that as a sci-fi musical. But Rocky Horror Picture Show. Actually, there was an article I was reading like the top five sci-fi musicals and Rocky Horror is 
at the very top. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually got to see it twice last Halloween um, because they were showing it downtown. Um, and then we also showed it here at fun. Solidarity Collective on the big screen. Well, yeah, uh, thanks, everybody. We love having these conversations out here. And if you want to support more of them, you can always go to patreon.com slash solidarity house and be a supporter at any level and support great conversations about great things. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, if you were a supporter, you would get to hear a big, long conversation we had with Mara uh, about uh, the threat against the uh, women's and gender studies uh, program at Wyoming. And then, that was a then the next day, <laughs> they made, they decided not to. And I was like, well, let's let's just make that bonus content. I'm gonna so. we're, I'm, I'm gonna give credit to Kale Case for that. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> But your 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 premium content, how does that feel? Oh my goodness. I, I feel expensive now. Oh my gosh. 